a month and a half in, you know, on this deployment, we got a phone call from a village elder, and we went ahead and went out like normal, swept the ground like normal. We always had a minesweeper in front of us, and he didn't have anything alarm him, and, you know, came to a short halt, took my backpack off, about a 120-pound backpack full of ammo and grenades and water and food and everything, and uh, I set it on a bomb. Welcome to The Follow-Up from Premier Speakers Bureau, featuring in-depth conversations with the world's most in-demand keynote speakers. Today we have with us Travis Mills. So Travis has uh, done a lot of amazing things. He has his own Netflix show about him. Uh, the author of the bestseller, Tough As They Come, uh, global speaker, um, gets incredible ratings from everybody, and we're luckily, lucky to have you here with us today. So Travis, thanks for coming on. Yes, also very good looking. You forgot to mention Absolutely. very good looking. Absolutely. I've been getting but, a lot of like a Chris Pratt vibe. Yes, thank you. In more ways than one. Yes, we have a lot in common. Yeah. Um, like he has a six pack and I want a six pack, <laughs> you know, and he just acted in Terminal List and I love it. I'm watching it right now. But no, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. No, I really appreciate you coming here. I know today you're speaking to like 800 people and, and uh, you know, you've been all across the country sharing your story. Um, you know, and so could you just give me some background of, you know, obviously you're in the military. Mm -hmm. Where did you get your start? What drew you to the military? So I was in college playing sports and uh, I realized that college wasn't really my thing. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the whole like going to school and like studying, was, uh, <laughs> I was like done with it. So I wanted to go to college when I was ready for it. I didn't uh -huh. think I was really spending the amount of time I should be on the, the books. So, yeah. you know, I moved home and um, always was interested in the military. I went to the you know, Air Force and the Navy, the Army and the Marines and the Coast Guard, checked them all out and just happened the Army was the best option for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I joined because my dad was in the Army, a lot of family served. Uh, my Uncle Brian was a big inspiration to me. He was like, you know, the military is great, but you gotta make the military work for you mm -hmm. and make sure you get out of it as much as you're gonna put into it. And, you know, I, and I, and I joined in 2006 in a time when I knew I was gonna go to war, mm -hmm. uh, especially when I was an infantry guy. Yeah, and um, you know some of the best days of my life and the worst days of my life all happen you know while serving. So yeah. just excited, excited to be in the military. But that's what got me started, just kind of trying to find my way. And you were in the 82nd, right? Oh, I was in the. Is there anything else out there? <laughs> I was Maybe that's in the, the only one. 82nd Airborne Division. The 82nd. Yeah, and um, it's a legendary, yeah. legendary, yeah. greatest division ever known mankind. Um, it makes the Roman Empire look weak. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> that's how good we are. Yeah, you know, not to toot my own horn, but beep beep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's great. And so uh, kind of where did that help shape you from like leadership, teamwork, some of those things that, uh, what did you kind of learn from all of that? Well, I had a gentleman sum it up for me the best way possible um, a couple weeks ago. I was at a speaking event in uh, Indianapolis and he was in the, uh, the army and he was a captain and he mm -hmm. said, you know, Travis, everything's easier when you have to. And I never thought about my life and why I'm able to recover from my injuries and go forward in life. But I realized in the army, Everything was easier because you had to do it. There wasn't a question, am I going to go to work today? Am I going to get yeah. my hair cut? Am I going to do this or that? You had to. Like, that was your job and you had to get it done. So the Army molded and shaped me into like, hey, look, we have a job. We have something to get done. We're going to go get it done. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I think that helped me with my leadership and my training, um, you know, throughout my whole Army career as well as when I got out, realizing people are always like, how do you get better? How would you do it? Like, I don't understand how you live life every day, you know, the way you do. And for me, everything's easier than you have to. Like, I can't give up on myself. I have a wonderful wife um, of 14 years. Our daughter, Chloe, was six months old and I was injured. And, you know, I, I'm still their dad, or my daughter's dad and my wife's, you know, husband. And there was no other option. It was either lay here and do nothing or get better, yeah. I guess. So the easy choice was to get better. And 
I think just having those days in the military when you're so mad, you're either going to cry or laugh, and you're 36 hours on a mission straight, and uh, you just start laughing, and you're like, okay, let's just get after it. I think that really helped shape and mold me into who I am today. Mm -hmm. So can you take us back to that? So you're, I, I, if I understand correctly, you're redeploying. So you, you've got your wife, Kelsey. And how old was your, your daughter at the time? So when I, my third deployment came around, I was going to Afghanistan for only a nine-month tour. Um, I had orders taking me actually to some other fort, Fort Hood. And I got them canceled because I thought my men deserved to have me on deployment. And there was a real brotherhood there. And I was their leader and their boss. And I had them, you know, had them nixed so I could go over when... We left February of 2012, late February, and my daughter was six months old, and my wife and I said our goodbyes, and I went overseas. And you know, the first day in country was just like a massive uh, firefight with the Taliban. We really mixed it up, and I got—I think I got a bronze star that day for some valor on the battlefield. But I did nothing special; just went down, and saved a guy in the middle of a firefight, and just doing my job. And uh, we we had days like that, like every day it seemed like we were just you know getting into it with uh, with the with the Taliban. And a month and a half in, you know, on this deployment, we got a phone call from a village elder, and we went ahead and went out like normal, swept the ground like normal. We always had a minesweeper in front of us, and he didn't have anything alarm him, and, you know, came to a short halt, took my backpack off, about a 120-pound backpack full of ammo and grenades and water and food and everything, and uh, I set it on a bomb. And mm. when the bomb went off, it ripped off my right arm, right leg instantly. Uh, my left leg was really badly damaged. My left arm was still there but barely working and I hit the ground rolled over and saw what happened uh, my medic and my platoon sergeant ran up to talk to me and you know to work on me and I told them don't worry about it I think they were going to save me anyway and um, I thought I was just wasting their time yeah. so they worked on me and I radioed my lieutenant with my hand that still worked and I asked for his medic to come help us because we were injured you know I had other guys injured so his medic came over and they worked on me and got me on a helicopter and 14 hours of surgery and nine doctors and seven nurses worked tirelessly and uh, saved my life, you know, was at Kandahar Hospital, which I found a very fun and wild fact. And Kandahar Hospital, if you make it there alive, no matter your injury, you have a 99% chance of living through your trauma. Really? I mean, it nuts, right? Yeah. Nuts. And I, and I know this, we're probably not trying, here's talk, statistics on battlefield yeah, yeah, capabilities yeah. and where they come from in Vietnam. I think it's interesting, so but, go ahead. But just impressive. They gave me 400 units of blood um, during my surgeries. I was given blood directly from the nurse's veins because the blood bank ran out and people rushed to the door on... Uh, Kandahar to donate blood and I came out of it as a triple amputee and then four days later they woke me up and I happened to have a surgery two days after my injury and I had my hand cut off so I was a quad and I woke up on April 14th uh, 2012 to find out I was a quadruple amputee and it just so happened to be my mom and dad's favorite day that day not because their favorite child lived but because their favorite child was actually born so my birthday was the oh, day I wow. woke up in the hospital my 25th birthday wow yeah that's amazing so um First, that's that's amazing with the, the doctors and nurses that worked on you and oh, and, yeah. and doing that. I mean, that's 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 amazing. Um, what's sort of your mental process there? You wake up and this is you know you're on your birthday. That's quite a quite a yeah. present to have. So I I, um, I ignored everybody. My brother-in-law, who was in the army as well, or still is, he was with me in the room, and the doctors and, and nurses came in, and they all tried to ask me questions, and I ignored them. Right, because I had my own questions, right. Am I a bad person? Does God hate me? What did I do wrong in life to deserve this? Uh, you know, bigger questions, how can I be a husband and a father? You know, that was a big thing, just ripping through my head all the time. And then I also had the, the you know, lingering thought and question of, why didn't I just die? You know, how is this going to be better? And just, you know, finally I called my wife and my parents, you know, and my mom said, have a birthday. My wife, I told her I didn't, you know, I was fine, but I really didn't have a conversation. I didn't want to. 
And then um, I just kind of had to, to cope with what was going on. And, you know, there was, there was definitely some dark times. I had a special treatment that was only second person in the nation to ever have it and uh, 30th in the world, which is called the ketamine coma. Okay. And I was in such bad pain that they thought I was either going to overdose because I was getting so immune to the drugs uh -huh. or I was going to be in chronic pain the rest of my life. So they had these different trial things. They were having me like I had to, my wife had to sign off and I had what's called a ketamine coma. And it reset my brain to think where my nerves end is where my, my uh, arms and legs end now is where my nerves actually end instead of them trying to find my hands and feet, which was causing all the pain. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was, it was crazy, but I went out for five days with 600 milligrams per hour pumping through me, and I woke up and crazy hallucinations because it's like LSD or PCP-style drug. And, you know, fast forward to now, I don't have any pain. Um, don't take any medication for it, and I'm very grateful to have that surgery um, looking back on it. But, but, no, I mean, it was, you know, it's not easy by any means, but... Luckily, I had my daughter, my six-month-old, laying there on my chest, and we would play, you know, ball, roll back and forth to each other eventually, and learn how to walk with her. And you know, I, I, I credit her and my wife for my recovery. I mean, not mentioned like, you know, my father-in-law travels with me and hangs out, and my mom and dad and my mother-in-law were all very, very close. So that works out really good too. Yeah, and what what was it like when your wife when you when your wife first came back together? Um, actually, she ran up to me and they stopped her short on the 17th of April and they said, Mrs. Mills, your husband's right leg is ripped open, his sutures have split, so we have to have you cut two inches off his right leg or he'll bleed out and die. And she's 23, six month old on her hip, getting stopped and said, hey, we well, gotta cut your husband up, like you haven't really seen him yet, but we gotta take more of his leg off. And uh, she, you know, it was a little shock, shock and off actor and I had to just tell her, like, hey, it's okay, just sign it, we're good. And um, you know, the next day on the 18th, she came to my room and I talked to her and I said, you know, I. I've been thinking about this. You don't, you don't have to do this. Like, this isn't the life I would choose for you. Here she is, you know, caring for an infant with a husband now that can literally do nothing um, for himself, just like a baby. Like, I had to be fed and help change my clothes and, you know, anything and everything you can imagine. I had to ask for help for it. So, um, you know, I was telling her she should go. She should take the house, the cars, any money saved up, and financially whatever I had, you know, or whatever I was going to be having, you know, come my way would be all for her and Chloe, and they could go. And, um, you know, she was like, that's not how this works. We'll get through this together. So um, just an amazing lady, you know. And, uh, and I, I think that's mostly the reason I am who I am today, you know. I know I said I didn't have a choice, but having my wife and my daughter there at that time and being by my side and, you know, I'm actually, like, I don't talk back to my mom. I've never, like, yelled at my wife in anger. Um, we don't get in those kind of arguments. You know, I just, if I'm upset, I'll be quiet. I don't think that solves anything by yelling. But my mother did one time sit in my room and I woke up and I said, hey, where's Chloe at? And she's like, oh, Kelsey and Chloe already came and they left because uh, you were sleeping. And I think my mom said, never, ever let me sleep through that again. Like, that's the only reason this is worth getting better, you know? It's about the sternest I've ever been my mother though. So yeah. <laughs> I hope that's okay to say to your, your viewers. <laughs> we'll let it slide this time. Hi, mom. All right, <laughs> Luke says it's okay. Yeah, good. Uh, so appreciate it. Um, so, um, I, I do like, you know, you're talking about the army, you do it because you don't have any other choice, but you had a lot of choices laying there about what your life was going to look like. And, and even if it was a lot different than you had planned it to be, kind of your big overall goal, you know, in the, in the army you serve and you help other people. What are the choices that you made when you couldn't serve like you thought you could? Yeah, so I decided um, in my recovery early on that I was going to help people because I had a gentleman come in and show me that I was going to be okay. He had both arms and legs gone. He flew in from Missouri. And he said he's the second ever quadruple amputee. Todd nicely. He said, look, man, I understand where you're at. 
you know, here's a few things. You're not a bad person. Nothing you did made this happen. You're going to be fine. You're going to walk and drive. And then I was like, you know, I, I, I'm going to give that same hope that he gave me to everybody that comes in. So for 19 months at Walter Reed Recovering, I went to everybody's room that was new and said hi. And I had a little bit of a nudge from the therapist and the nurses because they knew that I was a pretty upbeat guy and happy. And they were, you know, because of HIPAA or medical, uh, you know, uh, rules, they were like, hey, we, we can't tell you who's upstairs and what room they're in, but we can tell you that the person you're looking for is not in 40 and he's not in 42. <laughs> if you can find him. And then you got a Marine over here like, I don't know what room he's in. And uh, Travis, I don't know how you're going to find that because, you know, Marines, they're just... Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, so I would go up and say hi. And before I knew it, it was like, hey, Travis, you know, PFC Johnson just got here, missing two legs. Can you go talk with him? And my wife and I decided that we were showing so much love and respect and support that we wanted to give back. We didn't know how that was going to look, but we started the Travis Mills Foundation and we were going to do care packages. So I started my own nonprofit to give back and we donated $5,000 from ourselves. And after experiencing some very incredible adrenaline rushes with downhill mountain biking and snowboarding and monoskiing and a whole, a whole bunch of them, we decided that we should bring some families out to Maine where we're going to move and we should have these same activities, but for a whole family. Mm -hmm. to do and we went ahead and bought Elizabeth Arden's um, old estate she was a cosmetic pioneer one of the wealthiest women in the world in her day and in 1929 she built this gorgeous estate it was in really bad disrepair we bought it um, renovated it and now we have the Travis Mills Foundation Veterans Retreat Center where we bring out eight families per week with physical injuries right so paralyzation amputation spinal cord injuries uh, maybe they were shots a car accident something during service yeah and we show them to keep pushing forward that life goes on and to never the life on the sidelines and um, we've run to be one of the top, you know, veteran service organizations in the nation. Uh, we bring in, because of our wonderful donors, uh, millions of dollars a year, and I don't take a dime of it. I'm never yeah. going to pay myself uh, for this work. And we've helped over 800 families um, come to this retreat in the last five years and thousands of people. And we've been fortunate to expand to a post-traumatic stress program as well. So first responders and combat veterans can come, and we get a grant for this, and it's mm -hmm. all paid for. And um, we just want to keep helping and giving back. So. I mean, it's, it's, it's rewarding for sure, but it's also more about like, how can I get people to realize their life's not over no matter what situation they have going on? And this seemed like the best way to do that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. So um, do you have any stories that you can <laughs> share from that? Maybe that I know you're, you've got an amazing story. Any stories from people who've gone through your program? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've had, you know, gentlemen that were injured um, come up and just be in tears because they never thought they could ride a bike again. And we have these hand crank bikes and we set them up and we line them up with a person that's going to show them how to do it. And this dad with four, this dad with four kids and his wife were out riding again. He's breaking down, big, big tough guy. You know, he's breaking down. Like I never thought I'd ride bikes with my kids. And um, you know, we do stuff like that. And then everybody's, you know, got a little tear in their eye because they're just so overcome with that joy that you get. And um, it actually made us start a new program called Recalibrate, where we take families like that maybe can't um, afford or don't know how to find a hand crank bike. And we find a way to get them one so they can yeah. ride with their families. Um, we've had spouses that have said, like, you know, this one lady, and um, I don't I make it very clear, there's men and women that get injured. So yeah. I'm just saying this is a story. Uh, this gentleman, his wife was there, and she said, you know, this is the first time my husband's acted like he did before he deployed. The, this, you know, I finally have seen, the, I finally got to see the man that I married um, yeah. when we've been here. And you're like, oh, that's great, you know? And then you realize that he hasn't acted like that since four years prior because he's been injured for four years. Yeah. He hasn't come out of a shell, but this is, uh, you know, it's non-clinical, the place we have, and it's, everybody's in the same boat and they all end up talking with each other, become lifelong friends, and 
you know, I live in a small town in Maine where nobody has no arms and legs like me from, you know, yeah. injuries like I had. But bringing people together and letting them talk is a huge thing. And then we have kids that cry saying it's better than Disney World or they got to go through the rock wall with their dad who's in a wheelchair yeah. and, you know, the ropes course. So just, it, it's really great stuff, right? I, I, I don't spend a lot of time out there uh, as much as I'd love to. I have a few other businesses that I yeah. um, started and, and got to be a part of. So... I stay as busy as possible, but I know that we're giving something back to these veterans and their families to show them that, you know, not only myself, but our donors and their supporters and volunteers and staff care about their sacrifice and want to be there to help them along their journey of recovery. Very good. And what's the uh, website or where can people find out about it? TravisMillsFoundation.org. Okay. That's why my son's name is not Travis Mills. My <laughs> wife said I name everything after myself, like my speaking, you know, <laughs> you know, Travis Mills group or whatever. And I get in trouble, so, but, uh, but no, <laughs> let's the cat out of the bag in case you guys are wondering, still got it, hey, but uh, we have a son as well, he's four years old now, he's named after the medics Daniel and Alexander, so his name's Dax. Oh, very cool, I love yeah. that. So, uh, and obviously you founded this, uh, you're also in a, involved in a lot of you know, different businesses, so kind of how did you turn this, uh, turn your experience and everything else into being an entrepreneur? I think, I think that I've been able to start these businesses and believe in myself because I almost died, realizing life's too short to live, you know, uh, on the sidelines and not go after what you want. So I got offered to buy a marina and I convinced my neighbor to buy it with me. When his <laughs> wife, my wife said, don't you guys do this. We just drank more whiskey and we did it. <laughs> and uh, we've expanded it. It was like 30 cabins and cottages and rooms on the lake and 70 boat slips. Now it's 180 boat slips with a cafe and boat rentals. and. Whatnot, and then I just opened a restaurant about five, six months ago with some buddies, and we're we're up for number one best new restaurant um, in Downey's Magazine for Maine, which is exciting. And the Travis Mills restaurant. Well, it's the White Duck <laughs> Brew Pub, but yeah, yeah. And then um, and I'm fortunate to go speak around the nation, as well as small. You know, I just have a lot going on. Yeah, uh, that's my wife awesome. would probably like it if I didn't so much, but you know, I keep myself busy and and I enjoy it, and I know that. Um, you know, when I'm out there giving a presentation, there are people that get something out of it. Today I had a gentleman from Vietnam crying about the things I was saying about the Vietnam vets and how to get respect and how I, you know, things like that. And other people saying, you know, I have a sister that's going through cancer and, you know, it's relatable. And I'm gonna send her your website to just check out what you have going on. And that means the world to me because I, I, I'm not good at compliments, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'll joke around and say I'm awesome, and then I'm humble in my presentation. I say that, like, in that order. But really, when people tell me about the foundation, how it's good it's going, it's like, I have wonderful staff and amazing volunteers um, that are doing all this, and my donors are out of this world. And I'm not great with the compliments because I just see myself as a regular, everyday guy. But I do appreciate when everybody's, you know, getting some value out of what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, what are some of the steps? So, so obviously everyone has a different story. You know, obviously you've, you've had the background of, of being a you know, quadruple amputee. If someone is just going through something really difficult, like you mentioned, cancer or loss mm -hmm. or something else, um, what are some sort of concrete steps like today? They haven't been themselves for four years like that person you're talking about. Yeah. What are some specific steps they can take to get pointed in the right direction? Well, absolutely. I think it comes down to their personality and how they're going to react. I mean, sometimes there's tough love needed and sometimes there's a little more coddling. And, you know, uh, my wife's aunt, she had cancer and she got she got the diagnosis. And, um, you know, and I, I didn't know really what to say, but I called her. And I said, I, I got to be honest with you, like the worst of it's over. And um, as weird as that sounds, I said, knowing is the worst part, finding out. Mm -hmm. But now it's what are you going to do to push forward and just do everything you can to beat cancer, which she did. I mean, she's, it's wonderful. But I think that's the thing. We have to 
you know, as um, society, I guess, or as people that are going through something terrible, they have to first understand and accept what happened. Like me, I don't look at myself as a wounded veteran, right? Mm -hmm. I don't like the term wounded. I think it has negative, like I'm still injured and I'm not. So I just say recalibrated or I just say I'm Travis, you know? <laughs> but it's about finding your new normal and accepting that. And for me, I have a couple extra steps in the morning, right? My legs go on, then my pants, my arm, then my shirt. And you go about your life like that. So uh, I'd say step number one is like understanding like, okay, this happened or this is happening. Mm -hmm. And how can I, you know, live for a better tomorrow by understanding what's going on today? And then I have two life lessons I always, I always share. And the first thing is don't dwell on the past, right? Just reminisce it. Um, I had 25 amazing years, one bad day at work. And I really don't dwell on that because I can't change it. There's nothing I can do. It's no matter how many times I've closed my eyes and I'd hope and I wish and I prayed this never happened in the hospital bed and ask myself, how do I wake up from this nightmare? This can't be real life. Well, it is. It is real life. Yeah. And um, instead of dwelling on it, I just reminisce what I had. You know, I had a really amazing 25 years with arms and legs. Um, and I've had 10 since my injury. April 10th this past year made 10 years for me. And uh, we've been able to do some really incredible things. And then on top of that, I tell everybody, you can't always control a situation, but you can always control your attitude. Yeah. And my situation doesn't really change, right? And I wake up, no arms, no legs on. In my house in Maine, I jump to my wheelchair, get my arm off a charger, and uh, you know, I go make my coffee, and I set my wife's coffee up, and my wife will eventually wake up, my kids, and you know, we go about our day like normal. And I'm the only person in control of my attitude. I mean, my wife might be able to change my attitude real quick, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's the thing. Like, I don't let my injuries or what happened to me get me down because I was given that chance to live. I have some amazing, amazing friends that didn't make it back home. And a big thing for me is perspective, right? Everything's about perspective and putting it into perspective. And uh, my good friend, Francis Sheen Phillips IV, went by Frankie. He, um, third deployment, his truck hit a bomb. Everybody in the truck that day died. And I don't say that to make you sad or anything like anybody watching this to be sad. I tell you that because I was given the chance to live through my injuries because those doctors and nurses cared enough to not loosen that tourniquet and let me bleed out, but to work 14 hours and pump more blood into yeah. me from their veins when they ran out of blood in the blood bank. And, you know, Frankie's wife would give anything to have him in my situation. His daughter would give anything to have her dad back. And his mom would give anything for one more phone call. Yeah. And they're unfortunate they're not going to get that. But I have that ability. I have my wife. I have my daughter. I have my son and my parents, you know, in, in the, in, and we live in an incredible place. Um, the nation takes care of me. So I appreciate that. I keep paying your taxes. And um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm not good at the serious. I mean, I am good at serious. I can do yeah. serious. But... Yeah. So what's next for you? What, what's the next big Travis Mills project? Next big Travis Mills project. You know, I think that we can always do better and be better. Um, so I'm starting a clothing company, uh -huh. actually an apparel line called Rebel for Good. And, you know, the country is born on rebels. I think there's more people that agree on things. I think we all agree as a human race on things rather than disagree. Yeah. And I want to bring people back together. And we're a company with a cause. So when I launched this apparel line in a month or two, um, 15% goes back to nonprofits. Um, we're partnering with a children cancer nonprofit, a women's shelter and abuse nonprofit, as well as an environmental clean water drinking um, in the U.S. nonprofit and my Travis Mills Foundation nonprofit. So whenever you check out, you can pick one of the four, or if you don't pick one of the four, one will be picked randomly, and it will be donated from the profit that we make, um, not out of the person that's, that's buying the shirt and being part of this movement. So just always, always something. 
Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for going around the country, inspiring people and, and feeding people up in Maine with your, with your amazing restaurant. So. Thanks. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. The duck poutine confit, right? You guys say uh -huh. it like that with the hand and all? Um, <laughs> I found out real quick from the chef when I was telling people on like opening week, like, oh my gosh, we got this duck confit poutine. Um, it's made with real duck droppings. And he said, <laughs> Travis, it's drippings, drippings. duck drippings. <laughs> very so different. We can learn something new every day, but apparently don't tell the guest it's made with duck droppings because oui, oui, that yes. is wrong. <laughs> but uh, no, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. We got about 12 questions in, I think. So I was right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, you're amazing. So everybody, thank you for watching. We're talking about how he was asking me how much of a talker he was. And I'm like, I don't know. He also does, uh, does some amazing things there. We prom as promised, there you go. <laughs> so cool. Well, so everyone watching, thank you for, for watching the Beyond Speaking podcast, listening. Make sure to subscribe and comment. And Travis, thanks again so much for coming on. Absolutely, appreciate that. And I'm on the manana diet in case you guys are wondering how you look so good. <laughs> I'm always starting it tomorrow. Absolutely. Take care. <laughs> thank you for joining us for the follow up. To learn more about today's guest, go to premierspeakers.com. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen.